Welcome to the Desert Street Podcast, the podcast helping you develop forex trading skills for more freedom. I'm your host, Etienne Kret. Let's get started right away. I want to thank you again for tuning in into the podcast this week. If you're doing this every week and listening to all the episodes, I appreciate a lot. And that means a lot to me. You know, every time I watch these numbers of the episodes, this is episode 230th, which is amazing. But every time I watch these numbers, it makes me think that it's insane how much kind of content we've been able to produce for you guys and what results we've been able to achieve with that, with that content at the same time. That makes me super happy. So these podcasts are there to be helping you get more freedom to trading. And if you're not there yet, then feel free to reach out. We'll do our best to help you out and make sure that you are reaching your goals or crushing it and getting close to them. That's the goal. Now, this week we touch on a different topic that I don't really like to talk about. It's not something that is kind of that I'm really knowledgeable in because I've never succeeded in that. But we talk about but we talk about trading the news and news releases. So you know for a fact that most people when they hear about news, they think about trading like during the news. They want to be in the action, they like the action. And for a while in the very beginning of my trading journey, I felt the same way. I wanted to trade news myself as well. But I soon realized that it's a little bit tough to do. And although there are many advantages of that, there are a lot of challenges to trading news. But if you want to trade the news, there's something you can do. And that's what we cover in this episode. So I decided to sit down with Chris Weston. Chris is working at Pepperstone, a broker that I recommend and that I've been trading with since a few weeks. It's a broker that I've been starting to trade with the most recently, but I've been liking the customer service they have. The team there is awesome. And I have been doing a series of videos with them in the past. You might have seen some of these interviews on the podcast as well. So we cover news releases and how to trade in time of either news releases. So before or after, so before, during or after, and then what to do to deal with these high volatility events in the market. Times where things move like crazy, cannot seem to kind of use the strategy that you use normally, how to adapt this, how to change. And that's a big topic. So without further ado, this is a little bit of a long intro, but without further ado, we'll get right into it. What's the traders to come back to Chiang Mai in Thailand? I'm sitting here in the hotel. It's like really chill, really nice. I love it. And I'll be talking about basically this topic of news trading. This is a video that's sponsored by Pepperstone because they're awesome people and they're able to answer topics that I don't know much about, which is awesome. I've never really traded news well. I've never really wanted to trade news that much. But if you want, and I would suggest if you like that topic, that you want to trade news, well, it's possible to do it as long as you have the right framework around it and the right tools and the right knowledge within that topic of news trading. So I had a chat with Chris Weston, who's working at Pepperstone. And the first thing I want to know from him is what are the news releases or the events that he's looking at on a weekly basis? Well, I've been trading for you know, close to 20 years now, uh, both from an institutional perspective and also from my own, uh, own account. And I know that the markets work in a cycle. Yeah, we become fixated on a macroeconomic topic, a political topic. And we wait for the circuit breaker to evolve. What is going to give us the, the clarity to answer the questions that the market's asking for? And that's something we should get fixated on a specific date. So I'm a big believer that markets tend to work in cycles. Where there's a, a, an element of how we trade into a specific date, which is the news and the, the little parts of breaking news that go in those cycles. Then we actually get the event itself, be it uh, an economic release, like a non-farm payrolls number, a Fed, Fed meeting, or even a, 
an election if you want to go really high up political. How we trade around that announcement is, is something that we can discuss. But certainly, you know, that, that's where you get the high volatility, the liquidity issues that come through. And then, of course, we've got the, the, the stage three, if you want to call it that, which is the fact where the market understands exactly what's happening. And then we form a consensus view about what that actually means. And, you know, so that's the way that I think about the world is really, you know, is the lead up to an event, what happens around the event and, of course, the aftermath. And around that situation, you're going to see different psychologies, assets working in different situations, and then volatility kicking up higher or lower, depending on where how close we are to the event. And that has big dynamics on things like how much risk you're taking on, you know, your position sizing it and those factors as well. So look, yeah, I think the way I think about the world is, is from a sort of more of a macro discretionary view and, and um, taking a view about what is the key thematic that, that the markets are fixated on, whether it's you know, Brexit, whether it's you know, trade disputes, slower economics. And then trying to find out what is the circuit breaker that gives us the clarity of thought there. Well, I, I look at what is the big talking point in the market. What is the overriding, you know, macro thematic that markets are moving to? When you see everyone looking at a, a situation, it could be like the U.S.-China trade relations, and you know, are we going to see a breakdown? Are we going to see a convergence? And what does that mean for the global economy? You tend to see, uh, you know, China assets working very closely. The proxies of China, such as the Australian dollar, working pretty closely. Uh, dollar CNH in play, copper moving around. And I think you know, when you can identify the key theme, you can then identify what is the news that you're looking out for, that the market's trying to understand. What does that, that, what does the outcome of that piece of news mean for that bigger picture situation? If we're talking about a global economic slowdown, we're really interested in things like US manufacturing, the ISM manufacturing, and we're probably less infused about what's happening in the labor market. If we're looking at what's happening in the Brexit scenario, we're waiting for that that key date that, that gives us clarity there. And again, you know, we're, we're looking for that date and, and markets trading into a specific date, a specific timeline as well. So I think for me, it's understanding what is the big picket picture situation, whether it's a global slowdown, a specific slowdown in a certain country, weakening labor markets, because the central bank has said, you know, the key issue for us is what's happening in the labor market. And therefore, the market needs to be interested because if the central bank are interested, the market needs to be interested as well. When we can understand what is it that the market's really looking for to give us that clarity, then we can identify the news and the economic release or the, the, the key data point that we really need to be interested in uh, and trade around there. And here, of course, I can only speak for myself. But in the past, I used to put a lot of emphasis on actually not trading during the news. I would kind of swing trade on higher time frame. And I also checked the fact that it would be better for me to exit trades before news or to not place trades near a news event. Now, over time, I went to figure out that this was only partly true and that I was still making a lot of profit sometimes in news. And so I kind of put this rule aside, but I kept for a rule for myself that well, I would not place a trade before a speech or if I had a trade open, I would at least move my stop loss before a speech. And Chris had a pretty similar opinion on that topic. Well, I think they've all got their place. As I'm talking about here, it's, it's, it's what is the really the key driver and what is the market really looking for? And if it's the idea, for example, if we take one situation, which is, you know, if you're trading dollar yen, for example, which is very sensitive to what's happening in the bond market and, and where yields are going, both nominal and real yields, you know, you, you're looking for you know, the, not just whether we're going to get a rate cut at the next meeting, but the extent of rate cuts going out further across the swaps curve or the, or the rates curve going forward. And therefore, you know, what is the firstly, if we're looking at the data points, what is the market really looking for? Is it going to be a continued slowdown in, in the manufacturing space? Or are we looking at more things that, that are going to give us a really clear uh, that the Fed are more sensitive to such as consumer confidence or a weakening labor market? 
if we can understand that, then we know that the market's really clear, quite interested in that. The second thing is, is then when that data point comes through, we then need to regress that against what central banks are saying. So central banks give us an opportunity to mark to market where the rates market is, where the currency market is relative to where they see things. And it gives us a chance to say, well, we've had this data coming out. It's better or worse. Now, how do the central banks see it? And of course, in, in this situation, I will look at very closely at rates pricing. We can look at Fed funds futures, euro dollar futures, or whatever the currency uh, you know is. It could be Eurobor or Onia rates. And it gives us this understanding of what's actually priced in. And when a central banker speaks, then we get a chance to understand what their, their outlook is relative to what market pricing is. And of course, that's where currency you know, trading is really all about. It's looking at misalignments in this pricing. So that gives us a good chance. The data gives us a, an idea about what we think should be happening. And when the central banks get to speak uh, through these speeches, um, it gives us a chance to really rationalize and, and aggregate market pricing relative to these various speakers. Now, of course, what you're looking for when, you, when you're seeing these various speakers, let's take the Fed, for example, is you have what we call a dove to hawk scale. You know, some speakers will be much more um, hawkish, i.e. they're looking for uh, a normalization on a positive side. They want to raise rates or keep rates as they are. And then you might have the more dovish members, the people who are looking for more accommodative stance, uh, your James Bullard of this world, the Kashgaris of this world on the Federal Reserve Board, and they're looking to ease policy. So what you want to do is you, is you know these people are, are more dovish. You want to see a situation where they perhaps come more hawkish, and then that's a bit of a surprise, and the market's going to be saying that. Or you might get someone who's such as Esther George uh, on the Federal Reserve who, who's been you know, calling for uh, you know, rates to be kept on hold for some time, whereas the market's been looking for rate cuts. And when she changes her tune and becomes someone more dovish at the margin, then that's a big surprise for the market. What we also want to see then is, is, is the idea of, of what they portray. They could come out with narrative about more aggressive easing. And what we're trying to do as traders is understand what they're saying relative to market pricing. If there's a difference between the two, that's when you see reactions around the news. Now, when it comes to your trading plan around these news releases, a lot of people will tell you, well, don't trade the news, but trade the reaction to the news after the news is over. Some people will say, well, you got to be in the news, trade it fast and get out quickly. So what's the best? Well, the best, the easiest thing for me, well, the, the best way to think about this for myself is whether or not I want to be exposed around something that is almost a binary event. You know, when there's something that, that, that is the market is very sensitive to and, and they're saying that this economic data release or this release or the speech could really change the dynamic. Uh, and the best way to do that is for me is to have a look at implied volatility in the market. If we have a look at overnight implied volatility or one week implied volatility and you see it is high, you know the market's expecting a big move. And we can actually rationalize that. I put out a daily report called the, da the Daily Fix, which we send out to clients and subscribers. And we talk about implied volatility in the market. And for me, when you see that very high, the market's expecting a big move in the options pricing. And we, we can extrapolate to mean what that could mean for spot prices as well. And when I see a situation where implied volatility is high, and we also see that, that it could go either way, the risks are fairly symmetrical. To me, I don't want to be involved in that situation. Yeah, I could get lucky and I could be, uh, and the trade could work out quite well and I could get a nice move. But at the same time, I, I could see my account in duress because you know the trade's gone against me. When there's something which has high volatility, the market's expecting a big move and it can go either way. To be honest, that's a low probability trade and I don't want to be involved in that situation. So I can actually quantify what's expected from a certain data release by the implied volatility in the market. And we can actually extrapolate that through straddle pricing or strangle pricing in the options market as to the extent of the move. We can buy and sell volatility around that. So we can actually quantify that for the spot, the spot market. 
So that's the best thing for me. When you actually see a situation where high volatility, I don't want to be involved in that, to be honest. It's a flip of a coin and uh, you know that, that can cause big and, and erratic moves. When we see low volatility, low implied volatility around a certain economic release, that, 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 that's kind of a bit better situation. It's probably a situation where the market's saying this release doesn't really change too much. It doesn't change the dynamic that fits into this bigger picture situation. And you know, that to me is, is kind of no, no issue at all. Whether you're a technical trader, whether you're a, a discretionary trader like myself, you know, I think having an understanding about the event risks that are coming out throughout the week is, is absolutely key. You know, we are managers of risk. That's, that's our pri- one of our primary jobs as being a trader. Understanding, therefore, what the event risk is coming through and where the market is sensitive to is just so important for me. Do I want to be exposed to that meeting or not? Uh, and I think that's where the options market can come in really well. And that's why I look at implied volatility, um, you know, very, very keenly to understand what the, not just what I think, but what the market's expecting around certain events. And, and you know, for me, if, if, if it's too high, then I don't want to be exposed to that. If it's low, then that's fine. And that continues with the journey that I'm on already and the reason why I was in a trade originally. And of course, the other thing that goes along with that is what strategy you have to use in the market to trade news. Can, can you use anything or are there things that are better than others? What would Chris suggest for trading these news releases? Well, trading news is very difficult. I mean, we, we see people looking to say, oh, I'm going to buy the Aussie dollar because I think the RBA are going to keep rates on hold. And, you know, you've seen a situation where, you know, the market's discounted, say, 70% chance of a rate cut. So, you know, people buy the Aussie dollar on the idea that they're going to leave rates un- unchanged. Now, it's, not, it's never that simple, in my opinion, because what you could see if we use that as an example, is the RBA, the Reserve Bank of Australia, actually leaving rates on hold, which would cause a, a momentary spike in the Australian dollar. But then if you actually read the statement, it gives the impression that they're probably going to go and, and cut at the next meeting. So therefore, then you get this spike up and then you get this immediate move back down. So people who have been buying, be it you know, systematic or actually just using a, a buy stop order, for example, yeah, that, that market comes up and comes down very quickly unless it's hit their limit. So I think trading news and, and trading the exact has become very, very difficult in that situation. So I think there's certainly an art form to trading news. I think most educators would say to clients, don't, don't actually trade the news per se. The, the easiest money for me is actually in, in the lead up to a, a marquee event. And then also in, in, in that stage three that I talked about, which is when we actually find a fair value, when the market has a fact, it has the clarity um, to understand what does this actually mean? What does it mean for economics? What does it mean for potential changes in Fed policy or central bank policy? What does this mean for government initiatives? Could we see more fiscal action coming through? And when we actually form a consensus view, that's when we tend to see trends develop. So I actually look at, if we're talking about a, a stage situation where we, we see markets trading into an event, stage two, which is the event itself, and then stage three, which is the aftermath, the facts, and we know the facts and the market's trying to actually form a fair value as to what this actually could mean. The event itself, especially marquee events, um, are very difficult because you can see erratic behavior. Liquidity becomes an issue. Brokers, um, you know, liquidity providers pull bids from the markets and you get these kind of erratic moves. That's when you get you know, all this talk, sort of talk that you know, people are stop hunting and various factors. But you know, the, ultimately, if you aggregate that, you get you know, liquidity issues and markets becoming very erratic. That to me is, is a very hard situation to trade. Think about the psychology when we're all acting as one body. You get one person coming out and saying that this is going to happen. The market all acts as a collective group, and you tend to see trends going into these marquee events. That, to me, is is, is an easier hunting ground for profitability and FX trading as we all come together to say, what if? And then, of course, stage three, which is the aftermath when you've got that, that fact. They're the two easier places to go hunting for FX profits, to me honest, is, is when you actually, you're actually speculating on an outcome 
and actually the aftermath and we get the facts. The actual event itself, um, yeah, you could get lucky. You could lose, a, you know, you obviously could get unlucky as well. Or you could see a situation where you see a sudden move up and a very, very quick down, in which case you've, you've lost either way. So I think that stage two around the event, there's an art form to doing so. But I think it, when you've got to be in and out so, so quickly, it makes life very, very difficult. So I, I think about when we identify a thematic and a circuit breaker and a, and a date for that circuit breaker, you know, you think about the idea that you are seeing this psychologically, how markets trade into the event, the actual event itself, where liquidity and, and bids and offers and everything are moving around. And, um, and then the aftermath when we get the fact. Think about how, how markets work in that cycle. Now, recently, on a slightly different topic, we've seen a bunch of different volatility in the markets. And that's the market are like really low volatile. Sometimes they're more volatile. It really depends. And so you need, I think, to know how to adapt to these things. That's something I learned a lot the past year is how to adapt to different volatilities in the market, to different like tight ranges or big swings. How do you change your style? What do you do to be better and to kind of still have gains in this, these market conditions? Well, like there's, I think you need to, to think about this in, in the sense of what is volatility? Well, most people who are watching this video would, would already be using realized volatility or historic volatility. This is statistical fact. It's happened. And we can regress that. And most people would use a Bollinger Band, for example, or an average true range. And the Bollinger Band is, is statistical fact. And effectively, you're using, most people use a 20-day moving average. And it's the dispersion of prices from that mean. Uh, the wider those, those dispersions of prices, and most people use a stand, two standard deviation, which capsulates 95, 96% of those distributions, um, you will see a, a situation where you know, people will use that very nicely as a mean reverting tool. And that works quite well for people. You know that that two standard deviation Bollinger Band is something that is used very widely, especially in a sideways trading market. Uh, when you see the RSI around 50, people will use that Bollinger Band uh, quite effectively with an RSI uh, as a mean reverting tool, but also in a trending capacity as well. But you can tense when higher volatility has is, is ha is happened because those, those Bollinger Bands will widen. That's showing you that prices are moving further away from the mean but being captured with that, that two-stand deviation. The average true range is something that, that a lot of people will use effectively for money management and position sizing. Uh, when that the average true range, I, I tend to, if I was going to use one, I'd, I'd use five-day, is you tend to look at that and, and work out how far away I need to put my stop loss uh, based on, on the average true range. Some people will use one, one and a half times, and the further that is away, the, obviously the, the smaller position size you need. So that's something that, that people use all the time. I tend to look at implied volatility in the options market. And as I say, I put out a weekly report which talks about how this all works. Now, this is not me thinking about it. This is what the market is implying about volatility going forward. And that volatility effector is, is, is traders anticipating moves up or down. Volatility is directionally agnostic and from the current price. So it, it sort of talks about where this is going to go in standard deviation terms from the price. So I think when we see higher volatility, and what we tend to do is try and put context on that higher volatility, the higher the volatility within that 12-month range we use percentile ranking um, will give us an understanding about what the market's expecting. Are we expecting a big move up or down? Now, that works really well for certain strategies. But if, you're, if your strategy, whether you're using an expert advisor or whether you're using a discretionary or just a pure technical strategy, if it doesn't work well, in a higher volatility regime where you can get those big price moves, markets are probably driven by headlines, liquidity becomes a factor. You know, that to me is, is a massive consideration, not just for your strategy itself, 
but actually your position sizing. Your position sizing is one of the most important parts uh, and assessing position sizing of your trading process. Volatility is an absolute core measure of that situation. So if the market is either seeing high realized volatility or high implied volatility, in that situation, I'm going to lose, use, I'm going to use a, a wider stop loss because obviously the market's implying there's a higher uh, degree of risk that's coming through and a, and a bigger price move. And therefore, you know, if you've got a very tight stop, you're not, your chances of getting stopped out are very high because you're taking on risk. Of course, you're going to have to take a smaller position size. So in terms of actually risk and in terms of position management, you know, higher volatility and volatility is absolutely essential. But if your EA and, and your strategy doesn't like to work in a, in a high volatility environment, you know, that, that may be a time when you want to stay out of the market. I look in, I look in FX markets, for example, and a strategy that, that works really well uh, in a times of sideways trending markets or positive equity markets, low, uh, tighter credit spreads. Uh, is a situation where people tend to go into carry trades. They like to go into the high-yielding currencies, the Turkish lira, for example, if you really want your, your poster child of carry and that high yield, and also the US dollar to an extent. But uh, certainly the carry trader worked work really well for a fundamental perspective, but you need those market conditions to be there, that being low volatility and positive risk environment. On the other side, if you see higher volatility, that trader will unwind very quickly. But there's obviously a number of other strategies, mean reversion, trend, all those other factors that are coming through, and that, that is a really a function of volatility. So whether you're looking at realized or what I like to look at more closely, which is implied volatility, forward-looking, you know, I, I really like to, to get a sense that what it, you know, volatility defines not just your strategy, but your risk management and your position size as well. So for me, volatility is the absolute core of my trading process. Well, I think it really depends on how low it is, to be honest. And, and also, it's not just a function of how low it is. It's what's causing that low volatility. As it stands at the moment, we've seen fairly low volatility in FX markets and all the volatility has been taking place in things like oil, gold and, and also you know, equity indices. So why has there been low volatility in FX markets outside of the pound? You know, you've got to understand why uh, you know, certain currencies have higher volatility. And of course, that's when we've, we've got an event around that, which is a political event as it stands at this precise moment. The market is very on edge and therefore volatility is very high. When you have uncertainty, you're going to see higher volatility because people are trying to ask questions. They're not getting a lot of answers and therefore you can see big moves. But the rest of G10 uh, FX is seeing fairly low volatility. You're certainly seeing that in euro dollar. And the reason being is if you look across G10 outside of the political currencies, you know, all central banks are moving in alignment. They're all looking to cut rates. They're all becoming accommodative and that's suppressing volatility. So why we ask the question, where, where, you know, what's causing that volatility or the low volatility? And it's the fact that all central banks becoming quantitative, they're all moving in alignment, you're not getting that central bank divergence, which creates volatility. And so in that situation, I, I've understood that there is low volatility, but I've understood what's caused that. And then I can work within that regime. So if we take euro dollar, obviously, one of the most, if not the most traded currency pairs that you've got amongst sort of retail, You've got a low volatility environment. So, you know, how does the technicals look? But for me, you know, in that situation, my, my, my number one consideration is, is what, what happens with my stops, what happens with my risk uh, and, my, and ultimately my position size. And I, I know that I can have a tighter stop loss than I would do in sterling, for example. Uh, I might take a bigger position size, but then I might actually, you know, look at my risk rewards. And if I'm looking at a sort of three, three R, you know, I'll, I'll be looking at, is that too aggressive? So effectively, you know, the whole concept of low volatility, uh, how low, how can I quantify that using implied volatility and straddle pricing, for example. And therefore, if I can understand that, I can understand how much risk I'm taking on 
how much reward do I want to get back in that, that environment there as well? Well, I think news is inevitable. I mean, look, you know, first of all, if we can measure or quantify the expectance in the market, and that's why I, say, I keep looking at this implied volatility structure. With, with implied volatility, you can actually understand the, the expected move in the spot market that we all trade as effects traders. I think that's that's absolutely key. If the market's expecting a big move, my, my advice, and, and, and you can see if you look at the playbook, and what I do as a trader is, is and, and I think when you're looking at being a strategist and a trader, they're two very different things. But as a strategist, what, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to break down the event. And I'm trying to say to myself, this. if I can look at the consensus, let's say we've got a, a non-farm payrolls number where the market's looking for 200,000 jobs. I mean, there's more to it than that. Things like wages and, and the unemployment rate and the participation rate and the U6 rate as well. But if I take, well, if I know that the market's most sensitive just to the headline number, I'd say to myself, well, well let's have a look at the playbook. What happens if, where, where does the market see this as a good result? And what will this mean to Fed policy? And then I'll look at the currency, which is the most uh, at risk of this. So I'll look at dollar yen perhaps more than any of the other currencies because I think it's most sensitive to the bond market, which is most sensitive to the non-farm payrolls number. So I would say to myself, well, what's the number there which the Federal Reserve, I try and get into the mind of the Federal Reserve who are looking at this very closely. And I say, what does a good number look to these guys? And I'd say probably, let's say 230 to 250. Anything above that number would be obviously a US dollar positive because we're going to see rate cuts uh, being priced out of the market. Then I'd ask myself, what is the extent of the reaction? Again, I go back to the options market for that. I also then ask, well, what's, uh, what, what happens if we get an inline number? And what happens if we get a poor number? And what does a poor number look like? So I've devised a playbook around that. And I think, yeah, everyone should be doing that in that situation is, is try and understand, yeah, what is, what is a marquee event? And, and devise a playbook around that. And then ask yourself, do you want to be involved in that market? And what are the, what are the, the, the inputs suggesting that, you know, that give you the risk that we're going to see an upside number? You know, you might look at things like ADP payrolls the uh, the uh, employment numbers of the manufacturing and also the, non, uh, the services number. And I can therefore devise a, a probability matrix based on this playbook as well. And that's how I'll break down. And then I can use that in my trading because I've got a really good understanding of the news and the event risk itself. And when I'm running a dollar yen position, I can ask myself, well, actually, I've got confidence that it's not it's going to be a fairly low impactful number. And I'm happy to hold that position over the news. If I'm not, if I'm worried about that, if I think it could cause a big move either way and I've and I'm not buying dollar yen for that um, event, I'm going to close out the trade. It's a risk to me. And, I, you know, as a risk manager, I don't want to be exposed to that. So that's kind of how we can think about, you know, being a strategist and being a trader at the same time. As a strategist, I'm looking at the event risk. I'm devising playbooks uh, and I'm using that, therefore, to assess my risk, which I've got my position on. Now, my last point for this video is if you've been trying to trade news in the past, you've tried, you've maybe failed, you've felt discouraged. Well, it's not easy for sure. It's something that takes patience and practice. And sometimes people that trade news are not too patient. They want to get the result fast. And I think that's how people fail sometimes. So if you've not gotten results with news trading so far, don't discard it as like, oh, it's bad. It doesn't work. It, it's never going to work for me. I'm a loser and everything. Don't, don't do that. There's always a way to go and move forward and, and still get back to it and, and try new things and improve. So guys, in conclusion, I appreciate you once again for watching this video here. I hope you liked it. I hope these tips were useful, of course. And I'll catch you back here for the next video pretty soon. Ciao.